Welcome to another edition of Ovias and Gilio Overtime. The reason for this OGOT, I had a conversation with Ben Thompson. That name might sound familiar if you've been listening to the podcast as of late, especially those, uh, shall I say, spirited discussions about the ACC, conference realignment, and expansion, and where this is all headed. I've been a subscriber to Stratechery. That's the newsletter that Ben Thompson has been writing since 2013. And I find his work invaluable. He has this ability to do the explain like I'm five thing on matters of business strategy, technology, media, how it impacts society, and ultimately how it's affected my job. It's helped kind of help me understand where things are going and how I should try to take advantage of that. And honestly, I feel like ACC officials should subscribe to this newsletter and maybe they would make some different decisions going forward. So I had, a, I had a conversation with him that was recorded not long after the Charter Spectrum Disney deal was resolved. We started there discussing winners and losers. And then the conversation kind of grew into where things are headed, which sports would be affected, and ultimately how we're going to watch sports going forward. I'll give you a preview. We're going to have a lot of choice, but it might cost us a lot of money. All right, so you're a sports guy. I know you're a big NBA guy. I'm a college guy. And with every sort of deal, there has to be a winner. There has to be a loser. I know this was in your most recent update on the newsletter. And you, you, you kind of tried to find this halfway in the middle between Charter and Disney. Because I guess it's a it's a layered conversation about where these things are going. Yeah, I wouldn't say I tried to find it in the middle. It's always more fun to sort of come down and say, you know, one is a definitive winner look at these losers and if you wanted to do that i would say that disney is the loser okay. they i don't think got what they were what they wanted which was basically to still get paid and still be able to run their streaming service on the side and and keep all the money and that is not going to happen the the their streaming services are now going to be bundled with the regular sort of tv bundle so they can't double dip but the reason why I sort of came down in the middle is I think that's good for Disney in the long run. I, I, I think their entire approach was misguided and unsustainable. And there's a bit where I think Charter forced them into the, the position they should have been in all along. I feel like we're at the point where bundles are the new vinyl or bundles are the new bundle. You've been arguing this point about a, a rebundling, but How's it how's it gonna work? I think you you wrote about it in, in the most recent strategy, the, the 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 one that's free for everybody, that all you gotta do is hit cancel. And I've been arguing this point, you know, locally and to the ACC that largely these sports that the revenue that's been coming in has been subsidized by people who never watch sports. So it takes a really motivated person to want to sign up for these types of things. So how do you see this kind of new bundle working out for sports specifically? Well, so the, the the cable bundle, as you just well articulated, the magic is that you get money from people who don't want your stuff. And a lot of that was sort of downstream of how the cable bundle came about, which if you sort of go back historically, the cable bundle, unlike, you know, you think about a lot of innovations, start from the big cities and then filter out to sort of rural areas. Cable is the exact opposite. Cable started in small cities who couldn't get a broadcast signal from the big city and they sort of all banded together or entrepreneurs like this was like this was before like Silicon Valley and tech startups. If you were an entrepreneur that, you know, you didn't necessarily have the great business idea, but you really wanted to start your own business and you were a hustler, 
the cable industry was this amazing opportunity because there were countless cities all over the country and you knew exactly what you needed to do. You needed to go out, you needed to acquire land, you needed to set up a tower. The city government would help you because everyone wanted to get TV and you could run cables to everybody's houses. And this goes back even further where everyone did have a wire to their house, which was the phone company. But the phone company, because it was a regulated monopoly, had been was barred from sending video over those wires. And so it is actually kind of interesting and not necessarily economically justified that we ended up in a world where every house has two wires running through it instead of one. Because in a normally functioning market, th- there's so many advantages to being first that you would never sort of get a competitor. But in this case, you had this sort of big build out. And so it started uh, in the sort of you know, building these together. And then over time, they all sort of got bought up and, 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 and brought together. And, because, and as they did that, they had all this extra capacity. And then satellite comes along and they can pull in all these extra channels. And so this entire bundle concept did not come about because, you know, nerds like me sat around and said, wow, wouldn't it be economically beneficial to have a bundle? And that is often the case because the problem with a bundle is you're going to, whoever is super successful, there's no motivation for them to join the bundle. They can just make money on their own. But they're the reason people sign up for the bundle. But in the long run, the reason people stay is because there's something for everyone. So you you know maybe I'm not going to subscribe to I have I I have talked about I have a very soft spot for HGTV. I love my home improvement shows, sure, right? Sure. Uh, Hillary I, right next door. She's filming a show now, and she's she's doing a thing here based in Raleigh. Uh, so she'll be happy to know you're watching. Yes, uh, I mean, it, it, to be fair, I might actually subscribe to Max just for uh, HGTV. I'm not going to admit that publicly, but um, but by and large, you're not going to sort of subscribe to that. But you're happy to have it. Yeah. And when there was no decision making to be done, of course you're going to get cable. I'm a massive sports fan, so of course I'm going to get ESPN. However, I need to. Oh, it's kind of nice. I also have this on the side. And if it's say the summer or whatever, and there's not a baseball game on. Well, throw on a home improvement show late at night or whatever, you know, it's like doesn't take a lot of brain power and it's sort of nice to have. And it's these nice to have elements are what actually sort of reduce churn in the long run. It's not just one person. You have multiple people in a house. Not everyone in the house is a sports fan. So you would have kids programming and you would have programming more targeted towards people that were not necessarily sports fans. And everyone sort of had a benefit from 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 that. And the, the big mistake that happened was. Almost everything but for sports got pulled off of cable and it got put into these streaming services. And the problem is that you were at you you undid having that thing that's also nice to have and you was only sports. And then this to make up for the money, ESPN has jacked up affiliate fees like crazy over the last decade. It was actually despite all the cord cutting, ESPN was still increasing its revenue until about six months ago. That's how much they were increasing sort of affiliate fees over time. And it becomes so expensive that more people leave, which means they have to raise prices even more. And you get in sort of this sort of vicious cycle. And, uh, and, and so the long and short of it is we are going to end up in a worse place. You're absolutely right. Uh, as far for, for, from a business perspective, because you're not, you lost all these people, but there are still a lot of people that still have cable because it's the fault. A lot of them are older. Um, yeah, and and we'll have- as a radio guy, you know, as a former radio guy, I know the audience is aging out and I actually wanted to get to the discoverability part uh, about it. Well, 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 but just, just to sort of to, to finish, finish on that yeah. point as, as you sort of have that, that those folks there, 
to the extent you can pair ESPN once again with other kinds of entertainment like Disney Plus, like Hulu. And I think over time, the other streaming networks will come on board here. You will end up in a situation where you'll be back to for 100 bucks, 150 bucks, whatever the price ends up being. You can get basically all video entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be a good deal, but it's going to be tough, a tougher sell because you're going to have to convince people it's a good deal. And that's different than in the day where you just got it all by default. So about this discoverability, I mean, you you, you kind of laid it out there that as I'm, I'm, I'm 44. So my understanding of how watching TV worked was you just had it on in the background. It yep. was cables on, right? And if HGTV is just running in the background, MTV used to be the thing that was running on in the background for a lot of my younger days. But TV watching is completely different now. It, it's more engaged. You have it's in, to- It's more intentional, yeah. It's an, it's an intentional thing. And as I was pointing out with radio- you know, the, the thing that radio always had over everything else was easy discoverability. You turn on your car, your radio's on, to, you know, from the last thing that you were listening to. But as more and more people are listening to podcasts, cars are connected, that intentional nature of listening to something has eroded that audience and the older audience is sticking around. So I, I, I tie the older part of it, of what people are used to just having sports on in the background. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've seen uh, Robert, who sports TV ratings on Twitter, always loves to point out the age of the people watching these sporting events. They're getting older and older, and the intentionality of watching sports has changed over time, and the youth demographics aren't just doing it. I'll use the NBA as an example. I feel like NBA content is at an all-time high, but Adam Silver can't get people to watch actual NBA games. How do you change that? I, I, this is an existential threat, not just ESPN, but to, to sort of the sports leagues generally. Sure. I mean, you when you and I we were kids, there was nothing else to do. I mean, I guess Nintendo had come out, right? Yeah, and of I course, you would point that if you would. I had but, yeah, well, and also you were competing for the TV with your dad, who was definitely watching sports. Yeah. And so you would sit there and watch sports, too. And the best way, only way maybe to become a sports fan is to watch a lot of sports. And it's only when you watch a lot of sports that you can appreciate the nuances and the value of sort of watching a whole game and instead of just sort of picking up on the highlights. And the it's a massive question that I don't have a good answer to as to how that is solved going forward. I mean, I I look at sort of like the pickleball revolution here, which uh, is sort of like tennis for fat, lazy people. And you know what? It's just so much more approachable and sort of fun frankly like like there's a lot of sports when you play them you have to actually be fit and you have to be good to actually enjoy them and i think there's an analogy here for sports where you have to be into it and you have to understand it to sort of get the value another analogy you can make is video games like consoles are amazing people who love or or pc games are amazing people love them are super into them but then you sit down it's like wait how many buttons are there wait what do i do i just want to like yeah i want to play tecmo i want to have eight plays on the board i want to pick one and then press a button and if the defense pick the right play then i'm screwed like like that's that's video gaming to me right and this and so what happened is all these other folks that don't have the time or energy or feel this barrier to that sort of gaming, they game on mobile. And mobile gaming is a vastly larger sort of market than 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 console gaming is. And, you know, that the analogy here is YouTube or or TikTok or or Reels or whatever it might be is a much larger market, a much more profitable one than TV. Like that, that's that's the crazy thing about this. We're talking about these 
titans of industry like Charter and Disney. And then you look at their market cap relative to tech companies and they're just little minnows. So to that end, do you see the argument that at least I've always made regarding the tech companies in sports is it, there has to be the right tech company. I always I always assume that Amazon would make sense for things like the NFL and more sports because they get your data. They know what you're watching. They know what you like, and then they can feed you the stuff to buy. Right. Um, Apple seems to just light money on fire for their TV service and nobody seems to be watching their shows. And if it wasn't for Messi, I'm not sure that MLS was a big win for them either. They've been touting their subscriber numbers, but they're watching for one dude, which I think is bad for MLS in the long run. So do you think that tech companies can make this a a sports, a profitable thing where these scripted shows haven't necessarily worked out? So the problem for the TV ecosystem is that tech companies have the luxury of not caring. And I mean this in two respects. Number one is the money doesn't matter. I mean, actually, I would argue the purpose of Apple's TV service is to divert attention as to how they actually make all their services money, right? (laughs) Say Apple makes a lot of services money. Wow. Oh, yeah, Apple TV Plus. Yeah, they do make good shows. No, they make money by taking a tax in every app in the App Store and by getting paid a bunch of money by Google, for which there's a DOJ case going on going on right now. And they would rather you not think about that aspect of their business. Okay. So so there, there is a bit there for sure. But the other part is what tech does incessantly and it's it's not a sort of intentionality thing it's just the nature of the medium like everything is ones and zeros and so the way they function and the way they scale to billions of people is by treating everything as a commodity and so you you go on your facebook feed you know for the, us old people that still know what facebook is and you have a picture of your nephew right next to a 6 month investigative report from your, your newspaper that they spent hundreds, tens of thousands of dollars on. And the cost to produce that content is wildly varying, but the experience of consuming that content is identical. And, and, and so everything becomes a commodity. And so what, what, what will happen in the long run if the TV industry doesn't get their crap together, and it actually might be inevitable at this point, mm-hmm. when you fight with each other and you squabble and you're dispersed, all you're, you're going to end up like, what's the problem now? Where's the game? It's a, there's like 47 streaming services or X, Y, Z. It's impossible to find. And so the problem that happens is you have a discovery problem mm-hmm. and who solves discovery problems. Companies like Google solve discovery problems. That's how they, that's how they achieve prominence and dominance in the market. And they will charge a fee to, if they solve your discovery problem for you. And so the likely long run outcome is Google's probably in the pole position. You're going to go to the Google sports app, whatever it might be. It will direct you either to their service or to someone else's. If it's someone else's that someone else will pay Google a, a, a fee for, for having been discovered, whether that's an ongoing fee of their subscription or, or that, you know, some sort of ad deal or whatever it might be. And that is the most likely outcome here. And it's, 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 Again, it's not a malicious thing on the part of tech. This is just how tech works. That's mm-hmm. how it scales. That's how it get, gets that large. And the more fractured a market, the more power tech has. J- just as a counter to this, the one industry that this has not really happened in is music. And the music industry, everyone thinks of them as the big losers from digitization. They've actually done better than anyone else. And it's actually a big problem for Spotify. They can't make any money because they have to give 60% of all their revenue to the record labels. But how do they pull that off? Because there's only three record labels that act, that matter. Yeah. And so it's, it's like an oligopoly. And so they have negotiating leverage versus the discovery mechanism that is Spotify. 
and that's very different than say the print industry where there's no there's no sort of collusion or collaboration or whatever you want to call it so google just takes it all and tv ought to pay attention to that and again what you can do is limited legally but it at least needs to get through their heads that they are all on the same team here so to your point about the music industry and there's only three labels that you really have to pay attention to sports is the opposite from that there's a bunch of different professional sports that are all angling for a certain amount of of the money the pot that's available out there and and i'm going to tie this to college sports because for us and for what we've been doing is related to the acc the atlantic coast conference and the moves they've made to try to close this gap with the sec in the big 10 in terms of their annual value and the money they're putting out to the various schools they can't they can't catch up to them and they're going to try and they're adding Cal and and, and Stanford and, and SMU essentially buying their way into the league. And they're acting as though this is going to be the thing that's going to help them out with brands that don't necessarily move the needle for cable subscriptions to get the ACC network in certain homes. So as this kind of moves forward and these television rights deals continue to come up, the NBA is going to come up here soon. The NFL is not giving back money. Do you think college sports probably suffers the most here? Because you got the SEC and you got the Big Ten. We're probably headed to some sort of Super League. And those brands are going to be the thing that pulls in the money while a smaller conference of largely private schools will be left behind. Yeah, you do well to note that it's not a college football thing. It's specifically a conference thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the the most pertinent fact to understand about these college football deals is that everyone talks about the Big Ten and ACC on one side and the rest of college football on the other. It's actually the Big Ten on a tier by itself, which makes substantially more than the SEC. And then there's another large, very large gap to everyone else. And the reason I bring this up is this surprises everyone that hears it. And the reason it surprises them is because it's the SEC that is actually the dominant football conference as far as results on the field. But the Big Ten is the dominant conference as far as fans and viewing goes. They like they they they're the, these they're all the schools are massive. They're all pretty prestigious academically, which means a lot of their graduates are rich. Uh, their graduates generally go to Big Ten schools and then go back to the coast, go back to New York, go back to Los Angeles, or 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 go there for the first time or whatever it might be. I mean, I say this as a Wisconsin graduate that that you know it, it followed sort of a similar path. And so what that does is that gives that's why the Big Ten is the richest conference by far. And and all that to build on your point and say you're exactly right. The power comes from popularity. One hundred percent. This is the world we are in. We've gone from a world of getting money by default because you had to fill time. You, you provided value previously by providing inventory. Now inventory is infinite. There's something you want to watch anytime, anywhere. The way you provide value is by bringing an audience and the Big Ten brings an audience, which is why they just signed this crazy deal Mm -hmm. and is basically an NFL model. We're going to spread it out across broadcast networks. They they issued cable completely. We're going to have set games at set times every week. And we're going to be sort of, you know, paid royally for for sort of the privilege. And, yeah, I think the ACC, it's going to be a real challenge. I mean, as I understand it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, what, what helped drive their sort of expansion here is 
everyone complained about the ACC's contract with ESPN, but it turned yeah. out it ended up being pretty lucrative in that they were basically rewarded to expand. And so they, they you know, ESPN is paying them what seventy two million extra dollars were, for this sort of expansion. Reward. It wasn't a reward; it was pro rata. Basically, in their contract, if you add, no, no, I should say, effectively rewarded for yeah, expanding, okay. though, which gotcha. is sort of, which is sort of happening here. But yeah, the, the big part for them is you know it's great they have a ten year deal or whatever it is or twenty thirty four or whatever the date is, but they have to. It's not clear that they would get you know what will happen when that deal comes up to that end so this deal for the acc and espn runs through 2036 and i've been arguing this for a while that the deal is both a gift and a curse it's almost golden handcuffs it runs for a long time but i think it protects you against the changes in the landscape and how money is supposed to be coming in you bring up the inventory sports that's what major league baseball really relied on it was on every night it was something to put on espn and espn needed to have X amount of hours to justify their carriage fees. But as you pointed out, infinite choice now. So I thought, well, why make any moves if you're the ACC? You've got this deal. ESPN can't budge from it. You can hold your grant of rights and you can tell Florida State and Clemson, who've been doing the most saber rattling in North Carolina as well. Guys, let's just play this out. I mean, Florida State just beat LSU. Last time I checked, LSU's making a hell of a lot more than more money than they are. So what gives? You can still beat a team. If you got good talent. So I'm, I'm confused as to why the ACC felt like they had to do this the way they did. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I as I understand it again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe first off, uh, they're getting that 72 million a year or whatever it is, uh, you know, d- split amongst themselves. Right. Yes. Like Stanford and Cal. Are yeah, Stanford, and Cal are taking, and, Stanford and Cal are taking 30 percent. If, if the reporting is correct, they're going to take 30 percent off that SMU is not taking any money for the first nine years. They're going to put the money that they get the 70% into a pot and they're going to distribute it somewhat equal share. And the rest of it is performance-based. Like you win your bowl game, you get to the college football playoff, you get more money. Right. Well, the problem is what's the average head coach tenure? Maybe (laughs) what, let's say four or five years. What's the average AD tenure? Eight, nine years. Yeah. What's the average university president tenure? Uh, seven, six, seven years. I I, I don't know. But the, the, the issue is, is that everyone making these decisions is almost certainly not going to be in place in 2036. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that is probably the most important factor in the decision-making. And, uh, and that's, that's a reality for, for lots of these industries. That's a, that's a massive problem for the NBA. You have this issue where the players and they're completely justified in this. Like their careers have a cap on it. So they want to get all the money they can now, but also you have all these owners that are, that are taking a much more sort of short term view of their teams and revenue optimizing view. And, uh, and so they're not thinking about 10, 15 years sort of down the road either. Uh, One of the things that I think has benefited the NFL beyond being the country's most popular sport Mm -hmm. is it has traditionally been a family owned sort of enterprise. You have these teams that are held by not just owners, but families for decades. And I think that's probably related to the fact that the NBA or excuse me, the NFL has consistently been the most long view oriented in their sort of approach. And, you know, the NFL being the big winner now and having the right contracts in place and being on broadcast TV and all the things that benefit them in a cord cutting world is not just good fortune. Like the the NFL has been very deliberate in their approach. And by the way, just to sort of bring this up, you mentioned you see NBA content everywhere. Do you remember like a decade ago when everyone was ceaselessly mocking the NFL for not letting their stuff on social or YouTube or whatever it might be? 
looking pretty smart right now. Turns out you don't get paid very much for all those impressions. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I remember the Carolina Panthers were one of the best social media accounts to follow uh, because it would take NFL plays, they'd put some graphics on it, they'd, they'd engage in the memes. They took that away. I thought it was less fun. It wasn't as fun to watch along on social media. But yes, they are looking pretty smart. Major right, but even if, but even the teams post it, they would never let fans post it, right? They were no, super aggressive never. on the takedowns and things on those never. lines. And and you know, it's interesting because I think the world has really come to the NFL, where the NFL is is like the Taylor Swift of sports. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that is, I think a big reason why the the Taylor Swift tour was such a big deal this year, it wasn't just about Swift and the fact that it was a you know this incredible tour. It's that people are hungry to have a unifying experience to have in this world where everything is disparate and everything is fragmented. The vast majority of stuff is under the surface and it's just a niche, you know, and this applies to lots of stuff. But but if there's something that can rise above, maybe I'm not a football fan, but I will sit down and watch the game and get and the more you watch a game, the more you will get into it because it's a shared experience. And I think humans are in general, not just coming out of covid, but in this sort of Internet era are hungry for shared experiences. And and this is what I would counsel sort of any sports league to sort of really think about and focus on. Like that is your selling proposition. It's not inventory anymore. It's delivering a, a communal experience in a world that is hungry for them. And to the extent you can do that, you will have not just maintain value, you will actually increase value in the long run. All right, as we wrap up this conversation, nobody's given any money back, right? Like you mentioned the the NFL and the family ownership. Eventually, you're going to have some members of the family that see how the value of the NFL squad and they don't want to run it. They want to sell. But there's only so many people who have the money to go with the increasing valuations of these NFL teams. I mean, David Tepper owns the Carolina Panthers is a rare bird who paid, who paid cash, straight cash for the Panthers. You can't necessarily do that anymore. You saw what happened with the Washington football team that was, you know, leveraged, et cetera. So where do you see ownership going? I mean, are we, are we looking at a Saudi investment fund owned team? We see this in soccer and with television, I, I can't imagine that the, the NFL wants to give money back. The NBA doesn't want to give money back. So is it just going to get more expensive for us? Well, the NFL is going to get ever more money just because they are the top dog and they they actually do drive customer behavior. So what's your what's going to happen as far as the sports rights go is there's going what happens. This happens in the Internet in every single industry that is touched by the Internet. What we're seeing with the video is it's getting touched by the Internet right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what happens in those industries is you have this total bifurcation where you are either super big and you excel or you're super small and if you have an old cost structure, you're doomed, but it's an opportunity for sort of entrepreneurs with with small cost structures. So you and I, we make money like, you know, basically any this, the seconds you are listening to this podcast are, are seconds you're not listening to the radio. The, the, the seconds you're viewing this YouTube video are seconds you're not watching a sports game or whatever else it might be. There is a there is a direct substitute competition for time. And we are approaching it with basically no costs. And so that's sort of the advantage that we have. On Mm -hmm. the flip side, if you're dominant, you can also win. So in print, the New York Times has taken it all, right? They hire all the journalists. Everyone in the world can subscribe to them. Well, every little small-town newspaper is is basically doomed. You're going to see that this effect happens again and again. Uh, You're going to see that happen as far as the leagues go. The NFL will be fine. 
uh, the big college football conferences will be fine. It's going to get a bit dicier sort of in for everything in the middle where where the NBA, ACC, they're all sort of in the same boat. That's number one. Number two, the advantage of ownership is the whole challenge we're talking about here is this world of abundance. There's so many things to watch. There's so many things to do. There are only 30 NBA teams. There are only 32 NFL teams. Mm -hmm. And the best way to maintain slash increase value is to be a scarce resource. So those continue to be scarce resources and and they provide value beyond money. They provide prestige. They provide being sort of the, 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 the big man around town or big woman around town. You get to sit courtside and have television flashing you, whatever it might be. And so there is still benefits. I mean, you're, you know, close to home, the Charlotte Hornets just sold for, you know, $3.5 billion or whatever it was, which has no justification based on the performance on the court, <laughs> no. but it's an NBA team that sort of came, came up for sale. Now, again, we'll, all this is ultimately downstream of things like attention and TV rights and all those sorts of things. So we'll see how that investment turns out, but ownership is still a scarce resource. And yeah, I expect the leagues to continually bend their rules as the NBA already has, by the way, the NBA has shifted the amount that, something like a private investment fund or a PE firm can own. They have shifted the number of people that can put in money such that you get to a sufficient amount. And they've they've and the the pressure to do that is inexorable because the ones who make the decisions are the 30 owners. And those 30 owners care first and foremost about the the value of their teams. And the value of their teams is a function of how many potential buyers there are. A huge thanks to Ben Thompson for making time to join us here on Ovia's Angelio. I'm sure you could tell I enjoyed that conversation. If you enjoyed that conversation and maybe even learned something, throw us five stars on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a review while you're at it. You know, I love to screen grab those and put them out on social media. It gets all the engagement. And of course, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Just look up Ovia's Angelio on YouTube. Hit that subscribe, and that way you'll be alerted to all the great content we got coming your way throughout the rest of the football season, the upcoming college basketball season, and, of course, the Carolina Hurricane season. Five stars only, positive vibes only. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. 
Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.